Hey, 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 Talking Shizzle listeners. You know, it's always been important for me to align our business with other companies and individuals who share our values, especially those who share a deep commitment to serving nonprofits and social impact. So for that reason, I'm super excited to announce our very first season two sponsor, Kila. Kila is a fundraising and donor management CRM that is built specifically for nonprofits by nonprofit professionals. These folks really get it. Their mission is to empower nonprofits to deepen relationships, retain donors, and raise more for their cause. Several of our clients and partners use Kila and have continued to be impressed by just how easy Kila is to use, how affordable it is, and most importantly, the results they see using the platform. The Kila team is also phenomenal to work with. They are super friendly guys, and they have a continuous commitment to equity and inclusion. Now, go check them out. We got a special offer for you. As season two sponsor of the Talking Shizzle podcast, Kila is offering our listeners and community 40% off their first year subscription to Kila. 40%, you guys. That is a lot of shizzle. Think about all the other shizzle you can get done by saving that money on your nonprofit CRM. Plus, if you have under 250 records, you can get access to the Kila Starter Program for free. So if you are interested in learning more and booking a demo, go to keela.co slash partners slash creative dash shizzle. That is K-E-E-L-A dot C-O forward slash partners forward slash creative dash shizzle. Hey, hey, all you lovely people out there. You've got a lot going on in your day with big dreams and big goals for your world. Are you ready to talk some shizzle and learn some shizzle from leading entrepreneurs, changemakers, coaches, and overall interesting people who like to shake things up? I'm your host, Taylor Shanklin, CEO and founder of Creative Shizzle, and I am stoked to bring you a fresh episode of Talking Shizzle today. This show is all about helping you think differently so that you can grow. Talking Shizzle is brought to you by our team at Creative Shizzle, where we help businesses, entrepreneurs, and social good innovators make amazing marketing shizzle happen. Check us out on the web at creativeshizzle.com. Now, let's talk some shizzle. All right, what's up, folks? We are here with another exciting episode of Talking Shizzle. We're talking today with a very good friend and fundraiser extraordinaire, Josh Hirsch. Josh, what is up today? You're joining us from Florida today, right? Yeah, yeah, nice sunny day. I think we were in the mid to high 70s earlier. Right now it's 76, so nice weather. A little pickup from the 40s that we've been having here, which is not something I'm used to. That sounds exquisite. I just went out for a walk with my dog and like a frozen tundra. So, <laughs> but let's be honest, you live in a, you live in a gorgeous part of the country. Uh, I mean, the Western Mountains of North Carolina is absolutely beautiful. So I'm very jealous. It is nice. It is nice. Will, how's the weather where you are today? How's it in Jersey? Wintery cold, blustery. <laughs> I can attest the mountains are amazing, though. 
Yeah, Will Will went on my walk, my my standard trail walk with the dog recently. We had a team retreat. Was it just last week? It was just last week. And Will and Keisha came to town to Boone. And you got that trail I took you out with, lady. I was I was just out there. That's where I was. So now it's time to talk to Josh about cryptocurrency, crypto philanthropy, and his work at the Giving Block. And we're going to get into that because honestly, Josh, I need you to explain it to us because I don't necessarily even still really understand it. And I feel like it's one of those things now where you're supposed to understand it, but most of us don't really understand it. And like you're at a cocktail party. Oh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, crypto. Yeah, yeah, trading a lot of that. Uh-huh. Giving in crypto. Yeah, sure. Got to do that. You know, like that's how I think most people feel about it. So I want you to help us break it down, but let's take a step back. Give us a little bit of an intro on who you are, what you do, and what's been your history in the nonprofit space. Absolutely. So I'm a nonprofit lifer. Got my master's degree in family, youth, and community sciences from the University of Florida, Go Gators, and started off working in a community center. I was their camp director and children's program director. After about a year and a half there, I went and interviewed for a programmer's position at a small nonprofit. And the executive director, after our hour-long conversation, said, you'd be good at fundraising. I'm like, yes, yes, I would not knowing anything about fundraising. But, you know, listen, I was, I was young. I wanted, you know, a job and was a chance to, to learn something new and, and acquire new skills. So I accepted the job uh, as director of development and training. And first book I went out and bought was An Idiot's Guide to Grant Writing and started consuming that. I went to our local Children's Services Council, which had a lot of professional development opportunities started attending different trainings. And that was back in, gosh, 2000, let me see here, 2007, 2008. So I've been in the fundraising world for 15 plus years now, it seems. I have done everything under the sun uh, from small nonprofits to director of development, director of marketing, you know, most times wearing that, those two hats as we do in a lot of our, our nonprofits. A lot of time was spent in educational philanthropy uh, for a charter school with uh, students had it with autism. So working on the, uh, you know, ESC, exceptional student education spectrum there with resources available to them, doing individual giving, major gifts, special events, capital campaign, grant writing, you know, a- a- annual fund, everything you can imagine. Then went to the other side of ESC and worked for a private school for gifted students. So still had very unique learning needs themselves, but it was interesting. The Funding partners that loved me at the Bond Beach School for Autism, and it wasn't, you know, didn't love me, but loved the cause and the education that we were working for, didn't want to touch the students that I was working with at the, at the private school. Because why? Private school equals privileged kids. And, you know, that certainly is a misconception, but, you know, we provided 30 to 40% tuition assistance to the students. So, yes, they might not have the same needs that the students did at the Bond Beach School for Autism, but there was still need for supporting them. And I think that's what's really unique about this this world of fundraising is that no matter what your passion is as a donor, there is a cause out there for you to support. Uh, so fast forward some time, I worked at a nonprofit management association as our director of marketing and membership, and then fell into a job. And I've been very fortunate to manifest a lot of situations for me. So went and fell into a job, went to go have coffee with a friend of mine and as I did, you know, you got to take the bull by the horns, no pun intended, with that nice picture behind you there, Taylor, and said, when do I come work for you? So she's like, well, funny that you say that. I have a 
director of communications and grants, uh, you know, with a mission impact. So having gone from the asking side to now being a funder working for Susan G. Komen was an amazing experience because having to work with the local organizations that we funded, I think there was a lot of misconception at the time is that as Komen, we were doing the work. And it's like, no, we're just that conduit to care that was providing resources to those local hospitals, those local imaging you know, uh, centers that were actually doing the mammograms, that were diagnosing the patients and working with them and providing treatment. So having to be that, you know, that middle, uh, as I said, conduit to care to be providing those resources to that organization, making sure that they were following through on all their reporting. And, you know, it was a lot of quote unquote paperwork to make sure that they were good stewards of the dollars that we were entrusting to them, that not only were they providing the the care to the patients, but also were providing the best that they could with our, with our dollars. Uh, so after four years there, you know, during the whole crazy time of the pandemic, I was in Orlando with Komen Florida at the time, and we were getting ready to launch a new event. This is the Wednesday before the world shut down. The NBA stopped their season that night. That Saturday, we were supposed to have an inaugural walk. And Thursday morning, I woke up, I'm like, listen, we can't do this. Like, this is just like, we don't really know what's going on. We've been hearing about this thing in China and like now it's starting to spread around the world. We can't take a population of immunocompromised women and men, put them together for an event with, with what we don't know what's going on. So Thursday that morning was probably the most intense crisis communications in my career, having to work with our attendees, our vendors, our sponsors, everyone on the sudden say, listen, we're not having this event. So fast forward to that Friday, we're back. In uh, West Palm, we go into the office, our office at the time, we're at a hospital, we're like, all right, see you all in two weeks, we're just going to grab some stuff and went home, never went back to the office. And that was in March 2020, and here we are in January 2023, and I've not been back to an office since. This is where I work now, in my house. But I think what's been really, like, one of those upsides of, of the time is that I got a promotion, so I got a chance to go from working for Coleman, Florida, and wound up working for... Susan G. Komen, the national organization, uh, and was given a promotion to be the social content marketing manager, taking on channel lead for Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, I've always been that social media techie nerd. You know, even from my early days working for the Charter School for Autism, this was back when we were talking in third person on Facebook. And I just knew that social media was going to be this huge outlet, this communication channel that nonprofits could harness and really use for good. So I you know, consumed as much as I could. You know, these are the early days when John Hayden was talking about Facebook fundraising and is still like one of the experts, you know, on it uh, to this day, but started consuming as much as I could. Uh, And then it was last summer. So like June, 2022, no, 2021. Gosh, we're already in 2023. So yeah, June, 2021, that someone sent me an article from the Chronicle Philanthropy about crypto for social good. And as I do with a lot of things, I dived down a rabbit hole and started consuming as much as I could to understand about this world of cryptocurrency and philanthropic NFTs and how uh, nonprofits can use this form of donations, this, this you know type of giving to their benefit. What sort of demographics did a donor of crypto, you know, who is the, who's the holder, who's the donor? What are the benefits to the, to the nonprofits themselves? What are NFT projects doing with it? Put together a whole case for support for Coleman, outlining other, you know, top blue chip nonprofits in the country who are accepting crypto, 
what are the various vendors that they're using. And it took me about six months to get Coma to finally sign on and onboard to accepting crypto. And, you know, granted, at the time, they didn't have a donor base that were currently saying, you know, pounding down the door saying, hey, here's my digital monopoly money. I want to give this to you. And this is this, you know, this widget of ones and zeros is actually worth $10,000. I want to give this to you. And, and we didn't have a way to accept it. So it was a mixture of me diving down the rabbit hole and our major gift officers starting to have like those conversations with donors saying, hey, we want to donate crypto that Komen finally onboarded. And with any new form of donation, especially when you're looking at a typical nonprofit's donor base being in their female mid to late 60s, a crypto donor or crypto hodler, uh, and that's not a mispronunciation, it's a, a, a term, you know, hold on for dear life. It's from the OG days of crypto. So now it's just like type of crypto slang. So crypto hodler is mid to late 30s, is a Gen Z millennial educated, has a high medium income of over six figures. And this is the future pipeline of donors. And as we're, you know, our, our current population of, of donors start to age gracefully, we need to constantly be looking at ways that we can continue to feed the pipeline. So just really got passionate about it. And, you know, as as with most, most things, I, I manifested a new job for me and been very fortunate to be with the Giving Block now since early September. I'm the crypto philanthropy education manager. So after... 15 plus years of working in the nonprofit sector, I'm now a vendor. I'm now part of the the, the dark side. Ooh, that's a dirty word, Josh. Vendor. Dirty word. I know, I know. It may be a dirty word, but it's an exciting word because I'm able to take everything that I've learned the last 15 years in digital communications and fundraising, applying it to this new form of giving because crypto philanthropy has really been around since late 2017. Uh, it was in December 2017 where this pseudo-anonymous character known as Pine, Pineapple, was on a Reddit forum and basically said, I have more wealth than I know what to do with. I want to give it away. Um, and this was someone who you know bought into Bitcoin when it was pennies on the dollar and amassed a massive fortune. Uh, so they started this fund called the Pineapple Fund, started a website. In 24 hours, they you know had amassed like 10,000 applications or something like that. And when all was said and done, they distributed something around $55 million at current you know, value at the, you know, depending on where you look at Bitcoin at the time, Bitcoin right now is, let's say $20,000. Last year at this time, it was like $60,000. You know, as with any currency without, as with any asset, the way the best look is a cryptocurrency is very akin to stock. If you have a gift acceptance policy for stock, and once again, this is not financial advice, consult your attorney and consult your accountant. But basically cross out the word stock and replace it the word crypto. And that can like be the essence for a beginning of a gift acceptance policy when it comes to stock. Once again, NFA, non-financial advice, contact your attorney and accountant. But this form of giving, as you said, Taylor, you're out at a party, you're you're, you know, having a having a good time, sipping on a, a brew or two, and someone's like, hey, tell me about crypto philanthropy. You're like, I don't know anything about it. But you do know something about it. You do know about stock gifts. You do know about the benefits of non-cash asset donations. But here we're talking about more much global power of giving. We're talking about a market where you're not shutting down at 5 o'clock on a Friday because the stock market closes. The quote-unquote market for crypto is ongoing forever. And you can make global impact in a matter of seconds. 
because the way that gifts are done is through the blockchain technology. So once again, ones and zeros. I go to your website. You have a nice widget from the giving block on there. I sit there and say, okay, I'm really passionate about Purple Pandas in Nepal. And I want to support your organization because you're the foundation for Purple Pandas in Nepal. And you're located up in the Himalayan mountains. And you've got this rare breed of Purple Panda that only exists there. And I'm a donor here in Florida. And I really believe in the importance of preserving Purple Pandas in Nepal. If I went on your website and I said, you know what, let me make a credit card donation. It's going to take days for those funds to hit your account. It's going to take larger fees from processing it. Whereas if you had that nice widget from the giving block on your website, I could go on there and say, I want to make a gift of one Ethereum in the span of less than 45 seconds to a minute, depending on how fast the confirmations take on the blockchain. That one Ethereum is now hitting your account. And because you work with the giving block, you don't have to worry about any of the processes. It's automatically being liquidated into fiat because just as you would do with a gift of stock, depending on your gift acceptance policy, is immediately liquidating that gift of stock. So the donor gets that value at fair market value when they donate it and you getting that uh, that amount in dollars or in this case, fiat, you know, for traditional currency, if you will, into your account. So same thing with crypto. I donate that one Ethereum, which today, let's say, is valued at $15,000. I, as a donor, get the donation benefit of making a $1,500 gift to you. You, as the organization, automatically get those funds into your account in the span of seconds, you know, we're talking about. So you have that Ethereum ready to go with what you want to do with. It's then liquidated and converted into cash immediately. And that cash is in your account ready to go almost by the next day. Is that something that the giving block helps do, like the liquidation part of it? Or like explain that, how that works. How do you get it turned into cash? I think what's what's really nice about working with the giving block in that aspect is that we manage the entire process. We say, okay, we've onboarded the Purple Pandas from Nepal Foundation. Here is your widget code that you're going to put on your website. Here's the recommendations of what content to put on your site because you're going to go, you're going to create a separate landing page. You're going to create purplepandasfoundation.org slash donate crypto. That way you're optimizing it for SEO. You're going to say, here's keywords for impact that are going to drive to your website when people are out there searching donate crypto, comma, Purple Pandas. And based upon our research and best practices, we're saying, listen, here's some SEO items that you want to make sure that are on your page. Here are the various things, because a crypto donor is very concerned about the ROI and impact of their gift. Whereas traditional, like saying, okay, I'm going to make $100 gift to your donation because I really believe in Purple Pandas of the Foundation of Nepal. Whereas a crypto donor says, I believe in it so much, but I want to know what is my gift going to do? What is going to happen? What's the direct impact? It's a little different thinking. We've always talked about the impact in fundraising and how it benefits, but this is much more microcosm for a crypto donor when they want to know what's going to happen with their gift. And that's a, a, a crypto donor is very much digital and native and they're digitally oriented. So that's the way that we need to be talking to them and presenting our content as such. So the giving block will immediately liquidate that that donor, because once again, a lot of crypto donors in this world want to remain anonymous. So assuming that they are not remaining anonymous, they provide you an email address and sometimes maybe even work contact information. They're going to immediately get that acknowledgement receipt. So they've got that tax receipt. And if their gift is greater than a certain amount, whether 500 or 5,000, they're going to get form 8282 or form 8283 automatically processed and provided to them from a tax deduction perspective. 
Now, granted, this is more for U.S.-based nonprofits. Tax benefits aren't the same for our international clients, and we work with 2,000-plus clients globally. So the, the tax benefits isn't always the driving factor to a donor necessarily. But here in the U.S., we know that with most fundraising that Q4, excuse me, end of year December timeframe, see that spike in giving because people are planning their end-of-year giving. What did end of year giving look like on the giving block? Like, was it big this year? Are you seeing it get bigger and bigger? Or like, what what's the trend line looking like on this stuff? Like, how much are we actually starting to see people really give in this way? In 2022, we processed over 50, $50 million in donations. That was down from 2021, uh, but granted, it's, it's much more of a bear market this year. However, we saw a volume in donation uh, amount increase. So more gifts, but at a lower amount than previous year. So between you know be, it being a bear market, between the FTX fallout, there was certainly a hit from it. But to still see you know five zero fifty million dollars in gift process, it's just showing this the true sticking power and impact that these donors can make with their gifts, not just where they live, but where they want to make impact globally. And so can people give crypto? Like what are the different types of coins people can give? Yep. We accept over a hundred different types of cryptocurrencies. The major ones that you can imagine being Bitcoin and Ethereum are still the two granddaddies of the mall that we see the highest volume, but there's more coins out there that you would even imagine that some people, you know, will accept and, and support. Will probably reads about this on Reddit. I'm, I'm guessing. Will, do you read about much of this on Reddit? I know. Will was Will was educating me about Reddit more this past week at our retreat. Right. I, yeah, I was trying to at least <laughs> trying to show all the good parts about Reddit and all all the good things you can gain from it or the insights you could find out. There's also a lot of bad stuff too. It's just, that is just a microcosm of the internet, I would say. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's really cool. You accept a uh, hundred different currencies, a uh, hundred different coins as well. Are they all um, Ethereum based? Well, so there are, it, Ethereum is just one type of cryptocurrency. So we, they're, they're all that. Um, so there are some on the different chains, Polygon, um, you know, being Matic and different stuff. We also recently this year within Q4 started accepting gifts of uh, credit cards. So we can process your credit card donations as well and gifts of stock. So we've significantly simplified the process. If you have a donor that wants to make a gift of stock through our widget on our website as well. And we've seen increased volumes in gifts of stock and credit cards as well. So now it's not just, you know, a cryptocurrency uh, that we process. We're now, as we like to say, modern philanthropy um, and providing gifts opportunities for all, depending on how you as a donor want to give from your now on cash assets. But the credit card donations are not being then turned into cryptocurrency that's being sent. Like you're, that's just a standard credit card donation. Exactly. We're just providing an opportunity through our widget for you as the donor to give the way that you want to support. Okay. Okay. Got a couple more questions on like, taking a step back about some common definitions that people should know and understand in this world of crypto philanthropy, crypto currency, the blockchain. Like, are there any other terms you feel like that are common terms people should really understand? Like I even like NFT, 
non-fungible token. You know, there's still so much like, what is that? Every time I read about it, I think I understand it. And then I realize I'm really like a golden girl and I just don't get it. I think the easiest way to explain NFTs is it's cryptocurrency with pretty pictures. So it's a JPEG that lives on the blockchain that has a value associated to it that is non-fungible, meaning that it's not just like a one-for-one with like a dollar for a dollar. So you've seen specific NFT projects that are very philanthropic-minded that have taken to this form of donations and have built into their smart contract itself the wallet for a nonprofit that every time an NFT is purchased, a portion goes back to that organization. At the same time, a royalty when that NFT is sold will also go back to that nonprofit they're supporting. I first really learned about this world of philanthropic NFTs through a project called Women in Weapons. Uh, the artist, her name is Sarah Bauman, really talented artist, young. She actually is um, a double mastectomy pre-survivor of breast cancer. That's just something I, I learned about her after the fact. It just impressed me even more. And so we actually had her on at the time at Komen's podcast. But as soon as their NFT sold out, and it was like 1960s-ish, like Art Deco, kind of like empowered women holding different weapons, hence the name Women of Weapons. They immediately turned around, made a 25 ETH, so 25 Ethereum gift to the Malala Fund. At the time, that was worth about $100,000. So real power in these JPEGs, because that's really all it is, it's just pretty pictures that are on you know the internet that can not only just give happiness to someone who collects it as an art enthusiast, as an art collector, as an art investor, because... I might buy, once again, NFA, non-financial advice, consult your attorney or your accountant. This pretty picture today may be worth one Ethereum. Tomorrow, it may be worth three Ethereum. Or tomorrow, it may be worth 0.3 Ethereum. It's a very fluctuating market. That's the thing is a lot of nonprofits that get into this have to have some sort of risk aversion, which is one of the reasons why in their gift acceptance policy, gift acceptance policy is they automatically will liquidate their gifts of crypto because they don't want to play the market. They don't want to say, listen, I got this gift of Ethereum today and it's worth one thing, whereas tomorrow it could be worth two, but the next day it could be worth none. So most nonprofits don't have that risk aversion and will immediately liquidate it as such. So NFTs are mostly for art. I mean, that's been my understanding so far. There's a lot of utilities that can be built into the NFT itself. So, for example, Gary Vaynerchuk. I love Gary V, and he talks a lot about NFTs. And I'm like, I still kind of understand and kind of don't. So a perfect example is an NFT project that Gary has called Flyfish Club. Flyfish Club is a dining experience. It's going to be a physical location in New York City. And the only way that you can get a table or a reservation to this dining club is being a holder of the NFT project itself. So while the art on it may be eh, it's more about the utility tied around it and the experience that you derive by being a holder of that NFT. So think about it like a club. You know, that's a reason why Board Ape Yacht Club blew up like it did in March 2021, where, once again, the art is kind of eh, of these like dopey-looking 
apes where, you know, they might have lasers, they might have like gold teeth or whatever, but it was about access. It was about being part of a club that others couldn't be part of and what those benefits by being a part of the club allowed you to. Why they're worth a quarter of a million dollars or even more, depending on the rarity. You know, I think right now the floor on a board API club is, let's say, 60 Ethereum. So seventy-five dollars to $80,000 for a JPEG. And by doing that, you're able to say, hey, I'm an ape holder. I'm an ape. I'm part of the club. I'm crazy. I just spent $75,000 on a JPEG. But it's about that access. And it's also about like, listen, I'm going to buy this JPEG at 60 Ethereum, valued at 75000 Tomorrow, it could be worth 62 ETH, and I just made an extra three grand in the span of 24 hours. I'm going to sell it and take my winnings and go on. So could I buy an NFT, download the JPEG, ship it off to some printer, and put it on my wall back there right next to that bull? You could, in theory, not own that JPEG, right-click, save that picture, and print it out, but you don't own that JPEG. You don't have the value associated with it, so you're not going to be able to benefit from the utility or club membership from it, as well as the investment value of saying it's worth one Ethereum today, but tomorrow it's worth two Ethereum. But yes... You could take any artwork that you either own or don't own and put it on your wall behind you. <laughs> yes, I could do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it might not make the owner of that artwork happy, though. <laughs> no, I meant like I would buy it, right? I, I mean, I really sound old and like a fuddy-duddy when I'm asking these questions. But I think I'm asking these questions because I think a lot of people are in my shoes. We're like, like, I don't really get it. But I feel dumb asking the question. So. Hey guys, this is Talking Chisel. I don't know. I don't get this stuff. I'm like, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around why people spend money on this, but you're explaining like part of the why behind that. And it's helpful to get that context. Well, good. I'm glad that I'm, this is an educational experience for you, Taylor. It's totally educational. I'm going to go eat some cashews though after we're done here to like refuel my brain. <laughs> Because this, this conversation is still wrapping my head around the stuff. It's still, it's taking a lot out of it. So like I'm going to need to refuel afterwards. Okay. So any other common definitions or things we should understand? So smart contract, smart contract is at the heart of what the NFT is. That's what basically a developer and engineer is in there putting together the lines of code that are allowing you as a wallet holder with your cryptocurrency to purchase the JPEG that lives on the blockchain. And that smart contract is what I interact with as that holder of the crypto. Okay. All right. Can I get it as a PNG file? Some may come as a PNG file. Yes. An AI file? Uh, Probably not in the illustrator file now. Okay. Darn it. Well, now we know. All right. (laughs) Not unless you create the project, maybe. Yeah, there was, there was a project that I saw recently that's incorporating AR, augmented reality. So basically, you take out your phone with the NFT that you own. You can then project it in AR into the world around you. So I, I, I could see there being, in the future, utility tied behind that sort of AR component. You know, 
making stuff up here. I want to see what the couch may look like in my house. And I own a NFT that is of this really cool couch that I could buy on Amazon. But instead, I'm going to own it as an NFT, and then I'm going to project it via AR into the room. Really bad example, but you get the idea of ways and use cases eventually that we could see something like this being. Or you buy a NFT of a Banksy. And you know, if, if Banksy ever did an NFT project, it would sell out instantly because Banksy is the most mysterious and probably most well-recognized artist out there as well. You could not be in art and you hear the name Banksy, you're like, oh, I've heard of him. He just tagged the bridge in Philly the other day. There's such great documentaries about Banksy out there. I love Banksy. I was in New York City back in December or November, whenever it was, giving a presentation at the United Way or United Nations. And, you know, walking down the street, there was like a masked man not saying anything, selling Banksy's, you know, or what appeared to be Banksy. And you're like, am I going to spend 60 bucks on this and find out that it really is a Banksy and be like, I'm holding something that's worth 5,000? Or did I just spend 60 bucks on a piece of garbage? Listen, it happened before where, you know, there was an old man selling paintings on the side of the road in a, in a park, and it turned out to be really Banksy. So, I mean, anything, you know, it's, it's a crazy world out there. Crazy world. What I want to know is how much might someone pay to go to the yacht club in the metaverse? So I, I think the term metaverse, we don't realize how much, like your kids, do your kids play Roblox, Taylor? I think they just started playing that. I, they had they had a Roblox party with their friends here the other weekend. Yeah, I, I figured your kids are right around that age for Roblox or or Minecraft. Those are two perfect examples of a metaverse where you go into a world that's virtual. You're interacting with people around you. You have the ability to build. You have the ability to create. You have the ability to have goods and services of an ecosystem within this world. That's all it is. That's all the metaverse is. So at the core, our kids who are 10 years old or younger are going to be the geniuses that are running this world in 15, 20 years. Because you know what? They've been living in the metaverse between Minecraft and Roblox for years now. And we're just still playing catch up. Yeah, my son actually built this, going back to all the talk about pandas earlier, my son built this amazing panda sanctuary in Minecraft one time he was like like he just kept going and adding more trees and adding more pandas and they were just so cute it's kind of funny and at the same time I'm looking at I'm like what is it (laughs) all right Josh to close this out give us uh you know one tip for an organization that's thinking about getting into crypto philanthropy and like just needs a little nudge to get over the edge and, and, you know, as you said, grab the bull by the horns and just do it. You know, I would say you need to look at yourself internally and say, do you have the resources to push a new form of donation? Are you going to be able to provide the resources to communicate properly to your donors and donors that you might not realize that you have that would want to support you this way? I think that's the first thing that you would need to look at. Then obviously reach out to us online, set up a demo, have a conversation with one of our specialists and see if it really is right for your organization. Because I'll be honest, it isn't right for every organization. You need to know that are you at the right place with your internal staff and supports? Are you ready to be able to 
communicate it properly to take this leap into this next world. Will, you got a crypto joke for us? Crypto dad joke? Of course, you know I got in mind. What's trending on Reddit right now in crypto dad jokes? (laughs) Don't give away my secrets. (laughs) Yeah, so you know, uh, Bitcoin crashed in 2018, right? December. Not really a crash. Went to an all-time low, ATL all-time low. Well, Superman lost everything. We call it his crypto night. Oh, that was terrible. I think that was my least favorite joke of yours ever. That was a big miss. <laughs> big miss. Hey, but he's still smiling, folks. <laughs> All right, Josh, if people want to find you online, get in touch, uh, learn more, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, TGB Josh. Easiest way to find me. Uh, that's my professional giving block, Twitter. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I do a lot of just lurking on Twitter these days. After having worked and lived and breathed social media for two and a half years, it's tiresome to want to post and share your own content. So I do a lot of just like watching and learning. There's some great hashtags out there, depending on whatever your subject is. But Twitter is where the world of crypto lives. um, And that's where the world uh, conversations happen. Good to know. Well, thanks so much, Josh Hirsch. It's been a pleasure. I learned a lot. I learned hodler. I feel like a hodler is the like a, a cryptocurrency cowboy or cowgirl that would ride that bull. That's a hodler. That is definitely a hodler. For all of you folks listening, I've got a big bull uh, piece of art in my in my office. It was not formerly an NFT. It was just purchased at some store somewhere one day when I saw it and liked it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you next time on another episode of Talking Shizzle. Until then, go get some shizzle done, people. The shizzle! Well, hey there. That was fun. I love how much mind-blowing and mind-opening shizzle our guests bring to us with every episode. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast player so that you don't miss a beat of the Talking Shizzle podcast. And if you're listening on Apple, be sure to let us know what you thought and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from our listeners so that we can bring you all the good, juicy business growth shizzle that you would like to hear about. Get in touch with us and follow along at creativeshizzle.com or email us at podcast at creativeshizzle.com. Until next time, keep making your shizzle happen. Mm-hmm.